0: Just uh, had a small gathering of men here in Windsor, and we were just debriefing it in our, our pre time before the sermon, where we have prayer and uh, and worship and various things like that. However, God leads us, uh, and <clears throat> I just want to sort of publicly, even in this message, just declare that our God is faithful. I have witnessed it. I have seen it, and I don't want to put that under a bushel and hide it. I am so in love with my Lord, so amazed by my Lord, so uh, blessed by his faithfulness. And so I just want to go on record afresh. It's not the first time I've ever said that, but I feel like I, it should be said a lot more. And this mouth needs to be employed in even a greater degree, maybe even louder than I have spoken in the past. And by the way, if you've ever heard how loud Eric can get, it's pretty loud. Uh, and... I uh, just feel so blessed to be called by him and chosen by him. And in a darkening world where you see such frailty, why do I have such confidence? Why, why, Why do I have that? And yet I cherish it. I don't want to take it for granted. I want to use it to strengthen others. And I just want to encourage all of us. You may have a little, but that's more than a lot of people have. So take your little and invest it. Invest in the one who is deserving, the one who is worthy. Give everything you have, even if everything you have is one penny, give it all, for he is deserving. And when you give your all, it's amazing the interest, the return you get on that investment into God. So this is a message called, In an Age of Shrinking Wafflers. And my subtitle is very opposite my title and that is the dogged certainty and assurance of the Christian. Shrinking wafflers are the exact opposite of what we're supposed to be, but we're in an age of shrinking wafflers. Yes, I did come up with the terminology that isn't... Uh, if you if you look in Scripture, you can find the word shrink back, yeah, if you get the right translation. And waffle uh, isn't quite the word that is used. It's usually waver, right? But shrinking wafflers just sounded fun, right? And so in an age of shrinking wafflers... We need to be something very, very different. And we are being set up the, sort of like the DNA of the spirit of the age. And what is attempting to influence us, even in our spiritual thinking, leads you to an uncertainty. It leads you to a blur. The entire premise of postmodernism is there is nothing certain. And so as a result, when you grow up in a postmodern era, Certainty is actually it almost becomes offensive to people. It's like that guy is acting like he has there's one truth out there. Am I? Praise God. For there is. And yet that is offensive, just in its very nature. It doesn't matter if the one truth is Jesus or something else. It's like you cannot be so certain. And in fact, you'll hear even a lot of Christian pastors who will approach the teaching of the word without confidence as if they are guessing at what God could mean because none of us can be certain of what God means. And of course, all of us could say, well, you know, there's quite a few passages that I'm not exactly certain on. And the point isn't that we have to understand everything to be certain. It's that you have to know that that's truth. You have to know that God means one thing when he speaks it. And as a result, we all, by the one who wrote it, the one who carried along the writer's desires to reveal to us, that certainty, that sureness that is available to us in Christ Jesus. So let's go through what a shrinker is first off, okay? Someone that is silent in the very moment that they must speak. I'm just gonna pause there for a second, and it's not that I'm trying to put any of us on the spot. That's the Holy Spirit's business. But have you ever been silent in a moment that you should speak? And wouldn't it be very awkward if you said never? Even the most bold one amongst us understands how easy it is to shrink back. And yet there's a very clear commission in scripture that we are not to be shrinkers. And yet, wow, I I don't know if you feel that. It's like, but God, I'm designed as a shrinker. I am. Do you guys remember Shrinky Dinks? Uh, I don't know. You, this would, like, you'd have to be fairly old to remember a Shrinky Dink. But you know it's like some piece of plastic or glass. I don't know what it was. And then you'd paint it, and then you'd stick it in the oven, and it would shrink into something. I don't know. Some of you were nodding that are younger, uh, too. So maybe Shrinky Dinks are, you know, came back, and they had a, uh, a renewal season. But uh, we're not supposed to be Shrinky Dinks. Uh, we're supposed to be painted by God and then stay full stature. Not that I'm against Shrinky Dinks. There's nothing wrong with Shrinky Dinks, I'm sure. They sit when they must stand. This is a shrinker. They sit, yet they're supposed to stand up. Is there anyone in this room, you know, here we are on a college campus, that would be stupid enough to believe that Jesus is the one who created all this, that he is the one solution? (laughs) Is there anyone stupid enough to do that? Could you imagine being in a full classroom, in a collegiate environment, and standing up and saying, I believe it, every one of us esteems it. I mean, we're all like, oh, that's good. What a great story, but wow, is that hard. Why is it so hard? Because what is needed to stand in spiritual matters, it's one thing if they said, does anyone like the Denver Broncos? Ha, 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 and Eric Ludi would stand up boldly in college in front of everyone and say, I love the Denver Broncos and I don't care about your opinion on the matter. like, wow, Eric is so strong. Yeah, but then translate that to Jesus Christ. And it's very interesting because my natural man suddenly feels feeble and he doesn't have the same guts because it's spiritual guts that are needed for that. And that comes from heaven and they're planted inside of you. Many of us dig into ourselves to try and find what we need to be something other than a shrinker, but we have to receive that. We need it planted in us. So I'm still defining a shrinker. We're spending a lot of time on this one. They cower when they must rise up and do. They come up with excuses for inaction instead of courageously act. Here we are in Hebrews ten thirty two through 39. But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated, For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Isn't that interesting? The writer of Hebrews is saying that they have a confidence that they could cast off. Do not cast off or cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, So that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Yet for a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, another translation, shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Listen to this conclusive statement on this one. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So you see a contrast. The drawing back, the believing. And so there seems to be something about being the one who speaks when, you're, when you really want to be silent, but the one you still speak, that it has something to do with believing. It has something to do with faith that causes you to stand up when everyone's seated. And, and some of you in here are like, well, I have faith. And so that's why I'm giving this message. I want to bolster that. It's not just a, a faith that Jesus is who he says he is and he did what he said he would do. There's actually an infrastructure that comes underneath our standing. You know, under standing. It's under your standing so that it holds you up. It's an understanding in the Christian that enables us to have a certitude or a certainty or an assurance of our position. And when you have that, watch out world. To draw back, so here's our word, hupostelo. To withdraw oneself, to be timid, to shrink. Spoken of those who from timidity hesitate to avow what they believe, are unwilling to utter from fear, and shrink from declaring what they know to be true. So this, in Hebrews, is going to be clarified as something that is sort of the opposite of the movement of faith inside of us. This is not the direction we go as Christians. Now, it's okay to feel feeble and vulnerable to this. That's, that's actually just reality. We are. And we need to understand our susceptibilities so that we cling to the one who deals with this. So let's talk about a waffler. Because remember, this is in the age of shrinking wafflers. So we talk about the, the shrinkers, now the wafflers. Someone that goes back and forth in their opinion, their convictions, and their faith very common. And you know, I, I wrote a book called The Bravehearted Gospel. And the time I spent this whole chunk of my life was not the most pleasant way to spend it, but I spent it reading all these books that were coming out under the banner of this emergent movement so I could understand it because it was sweeping the world. I mean, all Barnes and Noble, Borders bookstore had a whole table set up for the new Christianity. It was like, okay, what is this? And uh, like I said, a rather depressing study. But one of the premise points was, Waffling. The whole thing was, we have nothing sturdy to stand on. So as a result, your opinion is just as good as mine, or the Buddhist opinion is just as good as mine. And so, as a Christian, we want to love everyone. And so it ba- basically meant this: it was the new kind of Christian was a waffler. Uh, it was those that shrunk back? They had no backbone whatsoever because a backbone was unspiritual. It was unloving. And so as a result, you end up with this waffling version. So here's just a sample: Yes, I trust Jesus. No, I don't trust Jesus. Yes, I think Jesus is able. No, I don't believe he can do it. You see, we can have this in a small measure in each of our lives where you have this rousing faith one day and then that test continues and suddenly it's just like, well, can God do it? I mean, could he pull me through this? It's like, come on, if you believed it here, why aren't you going to believe it the next day? And then the next day and the next day, you're supposed to persist. You're supposed to endure. You're supposed to go through a process and persevere in the same position. That's just a waffle back and forth, like a wave of the sea tossed to and fro. Uh Uh-oh, I just stole my thunder from James 1, 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, with no waffling, For he who doubts, or waffles, is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. It's a two-minded man. In other words, oh, I believe. No, I don't believe. Do I believe? I don't know if I believe. You don't question your belief. You stand in your faith. You are resolute in your faith. That's what faith is. So what makes a shrinking waffler? Well, they do not stand on rock. They stand on sand, which is why they uh, so easily collapse. They do not know him in whom they have believed. They are not convinced in their faith. They have never found assurance. They do not believe in the power of God. Some of these are terms that I'm going to unpack as we progress. You see, if you look at that list and you're like, well, I am sort of a shrinking waffler. And then you see that, you feel like I just gave an indictment on you. It's like, what? I I have all those things. And that's why I'm giving this message. I actually feel it's critical for us in this hour to address this at a deeper level than just, I believe in Jesus, okay? Could you leave me alone? But do you have rock beneath your feet? Do you know in whom you believe? Do you understand the power of God? And most of you say, I think so. But that's why I'm giving this message. I feel it's important. What makes one not draw back, but rather step boldly forward? Okay, so we're creating a contrast here, and you're going to notice all I'm doing is inverting uh, all the statements. They stand on rock. They know him in whom they have believed. They are convinced in their faith. They have found assurance. They believe in the power of God. Again, I'm giving terms that I'm going to now begin to work with. Uh, On the screen, it says the importance of testing. I, I'm going to give a question that I've received, and I remember very, one very specific time in which I received it, very important. Eric, how have you gone the distance? Most Christians do not go the distance. Most Christian leaders, it's almost easier to go the distance as a Christian if you never stick your head up out of the foxhole in the first place. Once you stick your head up and you take a leadership position, the lifespan of such leaders is actually not very impressive. Most of them don't survive it, even in their own personal faith, because the attack is so severe. So, Eric, how have you gone the distance? Now, technically, I would probably correct that and say, technically, I haven't gone the distance. The distance to me is dying well. It's not just making it to the age of 50 and (laughs) having not collapsed, all right? So, kudos are not needed yet. When I die, then you can give kudos and say, okay, that's the way to do it. However, I still am in the midst of it, but I have gone a long distance and I haven't fallen to pieces. In fact, I've gotten stronger in my faith. So, Eric, how have you gone the distance when others that started out strong right alongside you have faltered and exited the race? I could name names, I'm not going to. But literally men and women that were in stride with Eric and Leslie, walking with us, standing with us, boldly in a generation... Have faltered and fallen off to the side, what is the difference? And it's interesting because when I was asked this, my answer is pretty close to the surface. It doesn't take me a long time. You know, some questions you sort of have to ponder for a while. Maybe a week later, you could say, You know, I've been thinking about that. This one is really close to the surface, and that is we had trials, tribulations, and extreme suffering. That's how we went the distance. Isn't that an, an odd statement? If we had succeeded in what we did, if everything came easy, actually that would have been the death knell to Eric and Leslie Ludy. But instead, we were attacked. We were mauled. We were beat up. And we had no idea what was happening. And so who do, we had to make a choice. We clung to Jesus. Jesus, I don't know what this is. How do we reason through this? How am I supposed to respond? I thought this was going to be easier than this. This is actually the proving of our souls to the point now where I, now I know I'm in a battle. And so when a battle comes, I know God's gonna turn it into a greater strength so I can smile at it. Boy, it makes you even stronger with time then. And so as a result, everything that comes against me is like going into the gym. It's like, Eric, how do you get stronger? Well, I go into the gym every day and I keep increasing the weights. So as a result, as time progresses, I'm stronger, not weaker. And so as a result, the trial or the testing of faith is actually what I would say is the secret. Now I didn't come up with it. Believe me, I wouldn't have chosen that path. That was how God led me. So as a result, as I stand before you, I can take no credit for the fact that God has made me stronger in and through the the 20 or 30 years, I don't know what it comes to, 30, 31 years, it was 1989, that I have given myself fully to Jesus Christ. And yet I can tell you very simply what the secret sauce was in my soul. It's the difficulties that I faced. And those difficulties have been turned into strength for me. They forged my faith. They, they filled in the, the rock beneath my feet so that now I can appeal back and say, God was faithful, God was faithful, God was faithful. Seeing God faithful increases faith. When you have faith and you stick it in a faithful God and he proves faithful, what does that do to your faith? It grows it. It is the exercise of the soul. But if everything's easy, If you have everything you've ever craved, if you have no challenge to your life, there is no need to trust in a faithful God. There is no evidence of him being faithful because your life was easy anyways. So the difficulty is the secret sauce. 1 Peter 1, 5 through 7, those who have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, this is a summary because it's a long passage, so I'm saying this is who he's referring to, are kept by the power of God Through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why is it encouraging to know that difficulties work for our benefit? Isn't that funny? Now, if you are not in difficulties at present, you don't like hearing those things. It's like, I don't like this. I don't, who is this guy? Eric Ludia, I don't like him. However, if you are in difficulties, it's very encouraging. Praise you, Jesus, that you can turn this into a greater strength. We need to be constantly reminded of, and that's the where Christians are supposed to be living. We're supposed to live in the zone where difficulty attends to us, where persecution is surrounding us because we're living in obedience, and as a result, these truths resound, and they encourage us as opposed to get us upset. Assurance is a key word, and it's a word that many of us haven't known what to do with because we've grown up in a blurry Christianity, one that doesn't know for certain. Can we know for certain? absolutely. You see how certain I was with that? Yes, we can know for certain. Now, there's certain things we don't know for certain. It's like, Eric, what are you going to do this afternoon? I'm not, I'm not totally sure. I know where I'm supposed to be. I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm going to say God willing with that. There's certain things I don't know for certain, but there's certain things I can know for certain, and I need to know what I can know for certain, and I need to stand on that, and that's rock beneath my feet, So assurance, here's a a definition for assurance. Firm persuasion, full confidence or trust, freedom from doubt. Isn't that an interesting one? I'm free. Free from what? Doubt. I no longer am being pushed around by doubt. I'm totally confident that God is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. Certain expectation, the utmost certainty, firmness of mind, undoubting steadiness, Intrepidity, I love that word. Intrepidity. Of course, no one really knows what it is, but it, since it's in the list, it's like that immovable courage, immovable confidence. intrepid soldiers. Hebrews 10:19 through23. Now this isn't that same flow that we went through. we were talking about the writer of Hebrews earlier. It says, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. There's our statement. The way we're supposed to even approach that throne of grace is with a full certainty. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That's the logic of the writer of Hebrews. It's like, no, let's do this with a full assurance. And then he gives that, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Well, because the one telling us all this, and he promised, I mean, that's a big statement, he promised, didn't just say it, he promised it, he's faithful. He's faithful. And if you know that, well, why would you waver? Because it's God that said it. So we're going to go through three key ingredients to full assurance. Now, most of us would think that faith would be the only one on the list. It's like, well, that's just what it all comes down to is faith. Well, faith is the active ingredient. It is the catalyst to make the whole thing work. If you don't have it, you don't have any of this. However, faith is going to be supported by two very specific things. The power of God... And the nature of God. Now, for most of us, we're going to say, well, okay, yeah. I, I, but very specifically, I'm going to unpack these so that you can see how this works. Hebrews 11:6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You see in this passage in Hebrews 11:6, which is very, very important, in all discipleship, in all of the training up of a soul, is that if someone is going to come unto God, they come by faith. But believing something very specific, he is. What does that mean? Well, that's that ineffable, unspeakable name of God, Jehovah. He is. The I am, the one that was the same yesterday, today, and forever. You need to know that God is. You need to have faith in that fact that God is. He is. He is. And there's something else. You need to know his nature. You need to know the nature that is, that is unchanging. And that is he rewards those who diligently seek him. When you know that, it's a foundation underneath you. This is what leads to a full assurance. So ingredient one, faith. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he that comes to God must believe that he is. Now, I'm not going to unpack faith specifically today. I have many messages on faith I want to get to those other two because those are the two that I think we need to unpack and spend our time on. Ingredient number two, the power of God. I'm going to call it the focus of faith. Now, it's strange because what do you believe in? You say Jesus. And there's going to be multiple scriptures that going to say that we need to have faith in the power of God. And it's like, it seems a little strange, catches us a little funny. The power of God. It's the focus of our faith. And I'm going to give you sort of a hint of what this means. It's God's ability to perform what he says. You see, you need to have a faith that when God says it, he is able to do it. Could you imagine? I could tell you all sorts of things like, yes, I'm going to lift up uh, the chapel today and spin it around on my finger. And you go, oh, did you hear it? Eric like, said that he was going to do this. Yeah, but Eric doesn't have the power to perform that. And so as a result, don't put your faith in the power of Eric. <laughs> a very dangerous thing to do. However, when God speaks it, you combine the power of God with his nature that cannot lie, his ability to do it, and a promise that seals all that together. Where does your faith rest? It rests in the fact that he is who he says he is, and he can do exactly as he says he can do. You are saved by faith in Jesus faith in what Jesus has done for you, yes, but it's all summarized in the fact that he is able to do exactly what he has promised to do, and he's promised that what he did is sufficient to rescue you. Do you trust him then? Yes, I do. What's your faith rest in? You could very simply say in the power of God, but you could also say in the nature of God, and it's not like you're going to rob from God in saying that. You're believing Jesus to be exactly who he is was revealed to be. 1 Corinthians 2.5 that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. Romans 1, 16 through 17 for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written the just shall live by faith. So let's just sort of unpack the power of God. It could be the gospel of Christ. That is the power of God to them that believe. The power of God is the work of the cross. So what's your faith in? Well, the gospel. that's, That's true. You're believing the gospel. Well, I believe that the cross is where I am saved. That's where my sin is atoned for. That's where I'm redeemed by the shed blood. It's the power of God. It's God working for you, accomplishing what you could not for yourself the power of God, the ability of Christ to save. So can your Jesus save? Yes, he can. See, it's not just that he saved, past tense, he's a savior. His name, even the name of Jesus, Yeshua, is Jehovah, and then you add a verb, which is saves. What does Jehovah mean? I am. I am that I am. So the I am, or Jehovah, saves. That means he saved yesterday. He saves today, and he always will save. So the power of God, you believe in Christ's ability to save. I don't care what you have done. You know, the enemy hops on your back and says, look at you, a Christian. You have to believe in the power of God to save. That is where your faith rests. He is my Savior. He didn't just save me, he saves me. And I rest in confidence and assurance that I am in Christ and in his work. Now, here's another one that helps me, if I could say it that way. It helps me gel something together, and that is the power of God. The ability of Christ to do exactly as he promised to do. So our faith is not in the wisdom of men, they're wise sayings. It's in God's ability, Christ's ability to save. He says that he's my savior. He says that if I will repent and believe in him, I will find salvation. We need that assurance, that underpinning beneath us. The Holy Spirit amends these statements within us. We agree with God, and as a result, it forms a rock beneath our feet so that when we are asked, when our soul is queried, of where it is that we stand, I can confidently say, I am in Christ. And if someone said, how are you in Christ? By faith. I am in Christ by faith. That is my sure position. So when judgment comes, I am covered in the blood of Jesus. I am secured from the wrath that will come. How? It's not something I did. It's something he did. He formed a refuge. And by faith I enter in because he has unlocked the door for me and he has built it as a refuge for my soul. So as a result, by faith, I am in Christ Jesus. And there is a rest and a confidence in that. Ingredient number three, the nature of God. We'll call it the confidence of faith. Like I said, if I told you grand things that Eric was going to do, you could be very impressed and because I could do a few smaller things that would you know, get you going, it's like, maybe this guy really could do it. However, Eric is very limited. My God is not. My God is able to do exactly what he says he will do. And the main thing that we can build upon, and this is why I'm calling it the nature of God, the confidence of our faith, is that our God cannot lie. If he's going to go out of his way to speak it to us, he's going to keep his word. You need to know that. Hebrews eleven six. 6, for he that comes to God must believe that he is. So that means he was the same yesterday, today, and he's gonna be the same forever. What do we know about this he is God? What do we know about this God in whom there is no shadow of turning? He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Think about how Jesus is going to come and what he is going to reveal. He is going to reveal the nature of God. And, of course, one of our favorite passages for this, that, you know, in Sunday school growing up, you're always going to learn this scripture, even though you don't realize that for the rest of your life, this is the foundation of your confidence. You need to know that God is who he says he is. He will do what he says he will do. Ask, and it shall be given you. Who's speaking? God. Jesus is speaking. He is revealing the nature of God The heart of God. This is a promise given to us. Can God back up his promises? Yes. God is able to do it. That's the power of God. And he will do it. Why? Because he will not lie. He is faithful and true. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Promise. For everyone that asks, receives. And he that seeks, finds. And to him that knocks, it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom, if his son ask bread, he will give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Luke fifteen twenty through 24, and he arose and came to his father. And this is speaking of the prodigal. And again, Jesus is sharing this story to reveal nature. He is purposely giving these stories. And it's funny, we struggle with these things in the church because we see the righteousness and the holiness and the justice of God. We see the wrath of God and we, we tremble. And the fear of God is cultivated in it, cultivated in us. But we, we struggle in knowing how to dispense of that mercy of God when we know that he is holy, holy, holy. And that's why we struggle to receive it even ourselves. But we need to recognize the nature of our God is the same always. And so when it's given to us, it forms this rock beneath our feet. The devil wants to trap us with compromise as Christians. And he wants to remove the certainty and the assurance. And this is where you have to have something to stand on. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this son, for this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. So the three key ingredients to full assurance, faith, he promised. He promised. The power of God, he is able. The nature of God, he cannot lie. What is the stoutness of my faith built on? Well, it's that. So if I just say, well, I believe in Jesus, but then I get shoved around, I'm sitting in my seat and, you know, I'm I'm challenged, what am I appealing to? I need to have something that undergirds, that is strengthening, that, I'm, that my feet are fixed to. And it cannot be sand, because sand is going to be an unsteady foundation when I need to stand up in that moment where my legs are jiggling. I need something firm, and God has given it to us. The call for bold confessors. Bold confessors are not shrinking wafflers, but are instead courageous professors. I think without any arm twisting, we all desire this. What I want us to begin to do is to not just esteem, but to go after. And if there is anything, and every trial that we go through is an incredible opportunity. When you are feeling that downward push, which is what you feel, by the way, in the college classroom when the mocking professor gets up there, it's a downward push, stay seated that if you could start practicing rising up in faith and in confidence in the ability of your God and the faithfulness of your God to do exactly what he's promised to do. He says that he will give me what I need for life and godliness. And you move in agreement with that instead of listening to the cowering pressing of the enemy upon you. And I'm saying don't wait for the college classroom. I'm saying let's practice this today. When the spirit of God urges and nudges in a direction and we know what truth would be that we agree with it even though we feel like in the natural man a little shrinker wa- shrinking waffler sort we actually call on the grace of God we appeal to what we believe God you are faithful you are able to do this you are deserving of it here's my life and you actually move in agreement with that and that's a bold confessor and though Not many of us are going to be impressive in this just overnight. This is a process that God wants to cultivate. However, just like we see Peter at Pentecost, I mean, something definitely transformed inside that guy. That guy was bold to start with. He just didn't have the spiritual boldness. He had a natural man boldness. What he needed was the spiritual version, and he got that. We can get that too. Eight foundation stones of full assurance. The rock upon which we stand with certain expectation, the utmost certainty. So I'm going to go through eight foundation points. Is what I'm calling like foundation stones. These are reasoning points that I want you to just sort of wrestle with and uh, and develop in your soul. Number one, it is impossible to woo yourself. Woo is sort of an old-fashioned romance word. Yeah, Bill. Knows. It's the kind of word the Bill knows, right? Uh, but invite, maybe could be a better word for us to use, okay? It is impossible to invite yourself into the kingdom of heaven. And this is important. You know, many of us understand that it's like, oh yes, God is the one who has called me. And yet, you need to know that that's actually important for full assurance. And I'll try and unpack why. Because you need to know that if you have a desire for God, it's because he has a desire for you. If you desire to enter the kingdom of heaven, it's because he wants you in the kingdom of heaven. That's actually important to your assurance. So if you are seen, it's because he's helping you see. Matthew 16, 13 through 17, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I am? The son, who, do I, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but... Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So Simon knows something. How does he know it? It's been revealed to him. In other words, God has done something to prepare Simon to actually understand the Messiahship, the Christship of Jesus. Jesus. That's important for us to actually know. So, John fifteen sixteen and, and verse nineteen. I did not choose. I'm sorry. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I have chosen you out of the world. First John four ten and nineteen. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. We love Him because He first loved us. God is the initiator. He is the one who invites. He's the one who, to use a Bill Malene old-fashioned word, woos us uh, unto himself. And that's actually important to know. Because when you get hit and the devil says, God doesn't want you, isn't it strange when you can answer back and say, but I want him. God doesn't want to forgive you, but I want to be forgiven if you're desiring the God work in your life, where do you think that's coming from? It's like you've done too much. The whole, you've you've uh, offended the Holy Spirit. He'll have nothing to do with you. Well, then why do I feel conviction of my sin and why do I have a desire to be made right with Christ? Why, why is it that I desire to have all of this, that the enemy is meant for evil in my soul and that I've participated, it turned into an, even a greater strength for him? Why is it that I'm attracted to him and I want his salvation in this moment? You need to know how to answer that question. You need to know who does the inviting. Who is the one revealing that salvation to you? If there's a desire, where do you think it comes from? There's a whole bunch of people in this world that have no desire for Christ, that are sinning and not receiving conviction from it. They're hardened in their sin. You're not. Praise God, so instead of allowing the devil to bury you, Why don't you stand up on your feet, get some rock beneath it and say, Lord Jesus, it's not that I'm worthy. I've never been worthy, but I know you are. And I know your shed blood is the only means, the only operation that can cleanse this. So I'm not going to go anywhere else but right here, the cleansing fountain of the shed blood of Jesus. You want that cleansing? He wants to give it. Number two. If you desire salvation, that desire has been planted in you by God himself. 1 Corinthians 2.15, The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So where does salvation come from? We all know in here. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has won us. He has convinced us. He has warmed us in our understanding to even see that he is worthy. He can do it. We see the power of God. We believe in it. My God is able to save me. That's what changed us in the first place. But who can we give credit to? God. I have no problem with that. I don't need any credit for my salvation. There is no itch inside of me that says, but look what I did, God. I am totally fine with giving him all credit for rescuing Eric Ludi and for rescuing all of you. I have no need to argue that point. Though you'll see me when someone says, but that means we don't have any human responsibility. Then I'll start talking about human responsibility. But our God is our Savior. He is the one going after us. Praise God. Number three, it is by faith that you access the grace of salvation. Ephesians 2.8, you are saved by grace Through faith. So that saving work of God's grace, his work on your behalf, is accessed by faith. Well, how did that faith even spark? How did that faith even grow? Well, that was a gift to you. And as a result, you see God at the helm in this, which is important for you to recognize that at every juncture, the fact that you crave salvation is actually a message to your soul. It's like a love letter to your soul saying, I want you, please. Come to me right now. God, look what I've done. I even knew when I was doing it that it was wrong. But boy, do I desire intimacy with you and I don't desire anything to hinder. I, I want that more than anything. I I feel so vulnerable and so weak in this body. But could I still come to you for rescue? If you desire your God to rescue, you, you know there's people that harden in their sin and they. They turn away from God and cover their sin with justification. It's like, I'm fine. I don't need anything. They're not craving the shed blood of Jesus. That's a deeper concern and a different concern. I'm talking about that real desire inside of us to be purified, to live different. This is sponsored by the Spirit of God. Now, I am not going to encourage a life that continues to go back to the vomit of sin, and I'm never going to sponsor, I'm never going to encourage that any more than Paul did. Paul didn't either, even though at times Paul is going to sound like he's encouraging. it. So like, hey, God's always going to forgive you. It's like, what, should we then go on sinning? God forbid that isn't how the Christian life functions. If you want to live strong for Jesus because you love him, then you allow the Holy Spirit to come in and begin to pull away those tendencies and to remove them so they're not constant tripping points in your soul. Number four, faith is 100% guaranteed by God himself to work as promised. When you believe, he works. When you believe, he saves. When you believe, he washes. When you believe, he redeems and turns all of that junk into strength. So your faith, your confidence is that my faith in that power of God, I know God that you are able, actually is this great secret, and God will do exactly as he promised. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Our God has spoken, he will do it. Number five, the one drawing you is not a con. He's not capricious. You guys ever heard the word capricious? Capricious is like when in junior high, we used to do the old handshake thing. Where was like, hey, and then someone would reach out to take our hand and we'd go, psych. It's really awkward, very embarrassing. <laughs> and yet some of you did that. And that's capricious. It's a con game. It's like, hey, I'm showing warmth to you, but I actually don't mean warmth. I'm just fooling with you. God is not fooling with us. When he sticks out his hand of grace and mercy, he says, take it. When you reach for it, he is there. Faithful and true. Certainty assurance. Right there. You need to know that. When he plants the longing for himself within you, he is not going to answer that longing with a cold disregard. I, I just want to be changed by Jesus. He's not going to answer your movement towards him with a cold disregard. Well, you've done way too much sinning, bud. He's the one inviting you. Matthew seven eleven. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? This is his nature. Six, we need not be without sin to come. This is sort of a tricky one, even though my wording's a little awkward. We need not be without sin to come. But God, I can't come to you because I feel flawed. I just did something really dumb. We need to know that we we are invited to come. I feel like I'm borrowing a phrase when I say this, but just as we are. There's a reason why that song was so famous for all those years, or just as I am is how the song goes, but just as we are is how God receives us. This is how we were received in the beginning. This is how he receives us. Now, our salvation never comes from our works of righteousness. It comes from his work of righteousness. Again, I'm not a sponsor of poor living, bad living, selfish living. I want the Holy Spirit to convict us of that. And the reason we're being convicted is because God loves us and He desires us to be freed from these things. If you desire a strength in your Christian life, I guarantee you, God's the one sponsoring that desire for strength and consistency and constancy in your Christian life. Romans 5 8, but God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's a pattern. And you see it again, obviously, in the prodigal. You see a love that is extended. There is a window of time that we have where there is mercy and grace. And this is the window. Our final breath is what closes that door. I can think of no greater sin against the Holy Spirit than to not welcome his invitation. That's the great violation Because you can spurn Jesus, but if you spurn the Holy Spirit, the one who is inviting you into that salvation, there's no other means of salvation. But at any turn, any fumble of the ball, any trip, skin, knee, at any point, that shed blood is ready. The God who did save does save. He ever lives to make intercession for us, to recover us from a damaged condition. Number seven, as long as we are still breathing, the space for repentance is still there. I'm going to finish with this one too. Eight, no matter how dark our past, there is a brilliant future in Christ for those who come to him. You need to know this at every turn. And every single one of us has had these points where, whether it was a bad tone of voice, whether it was a, just a dumb decision to do, whether it's like a return to something that we said we would never touch again. I, I don't care what it is, but I mean, you can fill in the blank. No matter how dark our past, isn't that funny? We'll go to anyone on this earth and teach that message. But we need to have that as the message for our life. No matter what fumble of the ball we've done, God's not cutting us from the team. And he's ready to give us the ball again to have us run. That's not, I mean, what kind of coach is that? If he's a fumbler, hey, get him off the team. Instead, God says, I want to use him still. You see, God shocks us with his mercy, which triumphs over his judgment. He desires to remedy your situation. Now, this isn't the sort of message we oftentimes teach at Ellerslie. I don't know if you've noticed that. It almost seems too basic, but that's why I'm going back to it because I feel it's important that we aren't played by the enemy. I don't want to presume that all of us are standing strong knowing our position always. I want us to be reminded in that. And so this is like the message before most of the messages that I give at Ellerslie. This is like so elementary school, and yet some of us are thinking, "I've never even heard this before," which is why we need to hear it. We need to be bolstered strong. The questions that reveal spirit invitation. Just be encouraged by this. If you have any of these types of your answers to any of these questions are yes, just know that uh, it's because Jesus loves you. Do you desire to be saved? Isn't that just a fascinating question? For even those of us that have been saved for years, right? Do you desire to be saved? I do. Oh, boy, do I. Why? Do you know the answer to that question? Why? It's because God desires to save you. Do you want Jesus to rescue you? Oh, yeah. Do you want to be healed from your sin? Oh, please, Lord. Do you want to be with God? Do you want to share a common destiny with Jesus? Where he goes, I want to go. Or do you want to be as far away from Jesus as possible? there's people that are like that. I don't want to go where Jesus is. I don't want to go where God is. I don't want to have anything to do with him. Well, That's sort of dangerous, don't you think? But I don't want to go where God is not. I want to be where he is. Where is he? He's in the heavenly realms. Seated at the right hand of the Father. Oh, I want to be there. Why? Why does Heracluti want to be there? Why do you want to be there? Because God wants you there. Do you want to be where he is? Do you want forgiveness of your sins? Do you see that you are wrong and that he is right? Do you want God? Because he wants you. Putting your confidence in the power of God to save. It is impossible for you to want God without God's help. It's impossible for you to discern Jesus without the help of Jesus. It's impossible for man to see his need of God outside of God's help. Conviction of sin is a work of grace. The cry, what must I do to be saved, is the cry sponsored by the Spirit of God. If you are longing for God, then the power of God is at work on you, in you. 1 John 1, 8 through 10. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the word of God. It's unchanging. It's true. Don't try and write a new rule book. That's where we get in trouble. We need to allow his truth to be our foundation. And that means when we do sin, he's faithful and just to cleanse us. But he also says, confess it first and foremost, it's not always a confession one to another. Not always. Sometimes it needs to be. It's first of all before God saying, God, this behavior was wrong. You are right. This behavior is wrong. And then you repent. You deliberately choose to turn from that instead of continue to justify it. And God's grace, his mercy kindles upon such action. Grace can pour through when there's humility, but he resists the proud. When you justify yourself and you hold a strong position like, I'm fine the way I'm, I am, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the work of God cannot kindle, cannot work within you. So when we agree with God, we have to humble ourselves, and amazing things happen. Something profound happened this morning that I'm still chuckling to myself. It was so frustrating. I, I, my, my, Half of my family's in Michigan at a musical theater, and then I have three of my kids up in the mountains with the grandparents uh, this weekend. So I have these dogs, and these two dogs are craving, I'll just say it, Harper and Abby, okay, two of my girls that just love on them 24-7. I mean, that's not an exaggeration, too. And so now they're gone, and I feel so bad for these two dogs because they have me. Now, it's not that I don't love them, I do care about them, but I cannot give them the affection that they're used to. And so I'm trying to work on this message. And I have them both, I mean, literally weaving around and they're arguing, and they're biting each other, and they're fighting. And I'm like, guys, that, enough. And I'm like, buck over, you know, and I'm trying to get buck away. And so I, this, is, this happened all last night, and I was saying, did I feed them something? What is this, what is going on? Even as I got into bed, they don't ever sleep with me, but they're not going anywhere but where I'm at. And so they're on top of me when I'm trying to sleep, and they're, and they're arguing, and I'm like, God, in the name of Jesus, can I command dogs to be silent? So that, okay, so this has been happening. And this morning, I was trying to finish this message, and I have all chaos at my feet. Okay, I tried sitting, and Jackie would run up to try and hide behind me, and then Buck would jump on me and I'm like, this is so ridiculous. And I'm just craving someone from my family that I can say, take Buck in the other room. Just something, you know, split these two up, but I, I'm having a tough time figuring out what to do and focus. It's very hard to prepare a message and deal with two dogs at the same time, right? So I, I had a thought, and I, I got a leash, and I stuck Buck on a leash because he kept you know, attacking Jackie, and I basically connected him to the coffee table, which was not going to move, And Jackie, and then I sat down on the couch, and Jackie, I said, Jackie, come on up on the couch. Jackie's like hanging out where Buck is. I'm like, what, you want to be saved? Get up on the couch with Daddy. And so Jackie realizes, it's like, whoa, Buck can't move. And so he got up on the couch, and he was so grateful. I've never seen a dog do this, but he literally like got up behind me and put his paws around me and just clung to me. And it was, here I'm still trying to work on my message. It's like, okay, this is one degree easier. We'll go with it. I took a picture of this because it was so profound. Uh, Jackie, get up on the couch with daddy. Uh, so there's Buck. Look how happy Jackie is on the couch. Now, if you're, if you're getting this via podcast, you're missing a very precious picture. But there's Buck who I don't want to call him evil, okay, at all. All right, he's, he's very, very precious. But in this story, he's sort of like that voice of the enemy that is hounding us with condemnation. He will not stop nipping at us. I mean, just, Buck would just not stop. It was like he, I wanted to say that he was on catnip, but I don't know if catnip affects dogs. But that's what he was like. He was just like, ah, he's just going crazy. And that's the way that voice is inside of you. So have you ever had that where you're down in that lower territory, down on that carpet area, and Buck is all over you. And there is Jesus, and he's saying, I want you to know that Buck is on a leash. He actually has no power over you if you come up with me. And if you trust me, just hold on to my neck. And you'll find, and it was amazing, but once Jackie realized that Buck couldn't move, and it really bothered Buck, too. I mean, Buck was like, yip, yip, and just did not like. He was trying to chew on the, the leash to cut through it, and yet he couldn't make it through it. And it was just so funny because here I was finishing up this message, it was on the last slide, and I was seeing this. And I just, as awkward, as fun, as humorous, as cute, whatever angle you'd want, to finish up a message to just realize that I don't want any of us to stay down in that bottom level and be berated by the enemy anymore. I don't care what you have done because Jackie has participated in a lot that has caused this drama, okay? He'll get a bone out and then bring it into that little carpet area and then look at Buck and go, eh. And then Buck, oh, come on. You can't do that to Buck. So Buck now needs to get that bone. And so Jackie participates just like we have, okay? We are responsible for a lot of the havoc that we have in that carpet region. But when you finally awaken to the reality that you can't stay down there and survive because you're a lot smaller uh, creature, get up on the couch with daddy. And that's just what I want to encourage all of you to do today is just get up into that safe territory where his grace and his mercy is. He desires you. He desires you near him. He desires you with him. Father, I ask that you would warm our souls to this reality afresh. Lord, that not one of us in here would stumble over the enemy's condemnation and his voice that wants to declare us unfit and unworthy to be servants of the most high God. Lord, in and of ourselves, we have nothing to offer. Our faith is in what you offered and what you are, who you are what you have done and do still do. Lord, our faith is in the power of God to save. It's in the nature of God to be faithful and true to your word, to love us even when we're unlovely, to pursue us, to wash us of our filth, no matter if we have walked in cleanliness before. Lord, we cherish the mercy, the grace, the hope that is found in the gospel of Jesus for each of us in this room and those that are listening right now. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we proclaim this, cherish this, and freshly believe this. Amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. To take this specific message deeper through our daily Thunder discussions, visit ellerslie.com, where you can also explore our sermon library or learn more about joining us in person at the Church at Ellerslie here in Windsor, Colorado. Thanks for listening.